It was an eventful weekend in Cleveland, and it wasn't about the coronavirus. We had a riot for the first time in probably 50 years. It's This Week in the CLE, the news podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm the editor of Cleveland.com, and as of now, the plain dealer, Chris Quinn, here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and reporter Adam Faris, joining us to talk about his firsthand experience with the riots. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Let's get right to it. we got a lot to talk about. When what had been a peaceful demonstration in downtown Cleveland turned violent Saturday, why didn't Cleveland police step in to arrest people committing the violence? This was a bit of a surprise. For most of the day, when there were thousands of people downtown, it was very law-abiding. It was a a demonstration, peaceful demonstration, with, with a good bit of passion. But as the day wore on and it got to late afternoon and the crowd thinned to the hundreds instead of the thousands, clearly an organized set of violent acts took place. People were prepared for it. And yet the police stood back. Adam Faris, what was going on? You're right. There was uh, what started out peacefully, uh, moved to the Justice Center. And there things got pretty hairy. Um, Saw, um, you know, tear gas, gas canisters fired by the police into the crowd. Uh, they were throwing rocks, things like that. Uh, I think everybody saw the police cruisers torched around the Justice Center. Very chaotic there. there but step, but step back. But, but step back a minute. So you know, the the police knew this was coming, right? And like they did with the RNC, like they knew with the Brelo protest in 2015. They're they're there. They're they're somewhere. They're not. They weren't hugely visible. They kept a low profile during the peaceful part. But when the spray painting of the building starts when people start launching very large boulder style rocks through the windows. They did not mobilize to arrest those people. I mean, we could see them. We, you know, John Kuntz has photos that put you right next to the guy, one of the people throwing the boulders. And the police didn't mobilize to arrest. It was very different from the RNC. When, remember when the guy lit the flag on fire and the, Cops mobilized, rushed in and and tried to end it. And at the Brelo protest, as soon as things started to go dicey on East 4th Street, they announced people must disperse. They started making arrests. Here was here was criminal acts that were very overt that everybody could see. They didn't do anything. Yeah. So I'd like to point out those first two examples you gave. They uh, city ended up paying out settlements and lawsuits for the way they handled both of those. For this one, there didn't seem to to me to be a large police presence where the other ones uh, there was. Um, this one started out, I, I believe the bike unit came out first, which is the officers who are not in any sort of uh, riot gear or anything like that and just have their bikes. That was replaced by the officers in the riot gear. But there just wasn't a lot of police presence downtown. They bust in, I think three or four bus loads, which, uh, and, you know, there, I think maybe eight or so in each bus, maybe 10. And those were, I mean, heavily damaged also, but there just wasn't the police present there, there was at the other, uh, protests. Also, I think logistically around the justice center, I mean, it was pretty much surrounded. So I, I there, there just wasn't enough around the justice center at all. This is a, a speculative question, but I, based on all of the training and the work they did for the RNC and for Brelo and the, the consent decree rules, I wondered whether 
the, this this was an incompetence because if what you're saying is true, they just didn't have the people on, there to deal with this. And that's incompetence because they just didn't plan, even though violence had broken out in Columbus nights earlier and across the country. But I wondered whether the knowing that that this is a powder keg across the country, that that the, the people are fed up with police officers killing African-Americans, whether the city was OK with a little bit of property damage and its focus was much more about the safety, the safety of people, the safety of officers. And so as long as it was property being damaged, they'd let it go just because they knew that there needed to be a vent. I don't think anybody would ever say that because they would basically be acknowledging they allowed a lot of damage to occur downtown. But I just couldn't get it, given that this is a police department that has been trained to deal with this. And have done, I think, uh, a, a decent, pretty decent job with the, the RNC and um, some of the other protests in the last seven, eight years. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know if they were just, I, I have no idea if they were thinking, yeah, go ahead, destroy downtown. Um, I, I, it's, there's no way to say that, no way for me to know that. Uh, or were they but, not prepared for, I um, mean, they were yeah, ready at the justice it, center, but yeah. when Euclid went down, were they just, did they just not know? Um, I, I think so kind of reading between the lines of the, late night press press conference that night, uh, I think the chief was saying something along the lines of, you know, we, there were things we didn't, it was an unpredict, unpredictable event, unpredictable protest. So once it, it got out of the justice center and went to Euclid, I, I don't, I mean, there wasn't anybody there. I was there on ninth and Euclid, uh, me and Corey Schaefer, and there was no police officers for quite a while. Uh, yeah, but, but I guess, I guess that's, that's where I start to wonder if it was more improper planning and incompetence. Because if you're going to have the unrest that took place in cities across America, and actually there were demonstrations in other countries in support of the protests here, you know, where would it be? It would be Ninth Street, be Euclid. That that's those are the places that are most likely to get stormed. And I was struck watching uh, as you and Corey did your Facebook Live. Um, actually, I, I wanted to to bring this up. I mean, you you guys turned a corner and walked into what what was a very scary situation. Made me really nervous watching it. You walked up on looters. I mean, and actually, on the Facebook Live, they smash a window and then they start talking trash to you guys, and you quickly walked away. Corey actually has provided some advice on updating our guidelines so that we can be more safe. That must have been scary, right? Uh, yeah, it got a little, um, it, it was a little tense. Like you said, we just, we were focusing on the Facebook live where we need to go. There were small groups of people, you know, kind of all over the place. But when we got closer, yeah, they, they were, yeah, smashed the window going inside. Um, not very happy seeing that we were on Facebook live and, uh, whipped a couple of beer cans at us as we walked away, but no, I mean, we were, we were fine. Yeah. You guys, that, that, that was close, but I was struck by, by in watching that and what you said a little while ago that we were all over the place, but you didn't see police anywhere. I mean, it was, it was striking that in a night when every window was getting smashed and everything was being looted, you didn't see much of a police presence. And, and last night at their, their late night 
briefing, I guess it was 940 last night, the police chief and the mayor, you know, they tried to talk strong, like, you know, hey, this happened in cities across America and tonight we're in control and kind of evaded the question of, you know, why weren't you ready? Why? And it gets back to my original question. You clearly could see the people throwing the rocks. You know, why didn't you go get them? Uh, and we still don't have a straight answer to that. Yeah, I wonder, too, uh, logistically, um, because Corey and I were on Ninth and Euclid, but there was uh, other, uh, you know, vandalism going on on East 4th Street on West 6th. Uh, it was pretty widespread. I that It, it, it would have taken maybe, you know, the sheriffs and, and having some other uh, police from, I think, outside uh, cities to to really, really have been prepared for that. And uh, they, uh, I know some did come in from outside the city, but not until much later in the night. Which is odd because we saw what happened in Columbus where they broke statehouse windows nights earlier. You had a clue that this protest could get ugly if it, it went on. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is Cleveland Police Chief Calvin Williams providing any evidence to back up his claim that it was out-of-towners who committed the violence during Saturday's riots in downtown Cleveland? He he made a one-sentence statement on Saturday night that they have information it was out-of-towners. Last night when pressed, he said some of the people who were arrested were from out-of-state and they're continuing to look. But I want to note, this has been something that's been said in cities across America the Washington Post has pointed out that nobody's providing any evidence of this, and and it, it's a big question. It was a very mixed crowd, right, um, Adam? It, it, this was not like the city was overrun by white supremacists. It was a very diverse crowd committing the looting and the violence. Um, yeah, I would say so. Uh, definitely a mixture of, of uh, races. So, so it, is there any evidence that anybody's aware of that, this is out-of-towners or out-of-staters? I mean, were there a lot of out-of-state license plates parked on the street? I, I just, this is one where you don't want to let him get away with it. If it's true, it, it, it's important to say so, that this was out-of-town people that came in to cause a lot of trouble in downtown Cleveland. But I could also posit that, you know, this is the result of a, of years of poverty and the haves versus the have-nots, that this is uh, an expression of anger about all of the times police have killed African Americans without any recriminations. It's also, you know, Laura Johnston uh, is on the podcast. She pointed out yesterday, people have been bottled up for 10 weeks because of the coronavirus. There's a lot of anxiety and frustration in the air. And to toss off a line that, well, this was not Clevelanders, this is out of towners without really showing why you believe that raises some pretty serious questions. Yeah, we've got really nothing other than that statement, uh, the statements you mentioned. Uh, and there, it could have been. I think there's probably a combination of, of the, the things you said, Chris. But right now we're getting just, I mean, Cleveland style, nothing from the police chief and the mayor on any sort of details of who was arrested, uh, where and if they were from out of town or not. So we don't have any other arrest reports for anybody that was picked up. We don't know who they are yet. No. And this is Laura Johnston. Uh, Courtney Astolfi talked to the county sheriff yesterday, and he put out the same line that this was out of towners. But so far, we have absolutely nothing, no evidence to back that up. Well, and, and- I jump in here, too. This is Jane Cahoon. 
the Columbus mayor said almost the same thing uh, that that he he said they were people from the group Anonymous coming into Columbus to commit acts of destruction and, and violence to to further their own goals. But I don't know that we have any evidence there either yet. Well, I mean, what would go a long way is releasing the very basic public records of arrest reports. Those are de facto public records supposed to be provided immediately upon request. And Adam, how many people have been arrested so far? What was the latest number we had? Uh, 66. Right. We had, uh, and one, ju- one juvenile, 65 adults. So, you know, if we could see where these 66 people lived, it would good, give a good indication of whether this is out of towners. But like you said, Cleveland isn't providing a whole lot of information. Actually, it was kind of a frustrating weekend. Laura, who was the editor on duty this weekend, lucky Laura, um, <laughs> was was noting that the only way we got information from the city this week, except for those late night press conferences, was uh, Twitter releases by the police department. They really weren't answering many questions. And we had many questions, as did the other media. Yeah. And if you notice those Twitter, the uh, the Twitter updates pretty much stopped after a while, a uh, short yeah. while there, there was there was little to nothing. All right. And, and the other thing is uh, you were out and about yesterday. There were there were incidents at Euclid and Mayfield. There was an incident at East 79th Street. Was this just did this seem to be like opportunists trying to use the 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 conflict of the day to to break into some stores. I mean, it wasn't anything like we saw downtown, right? No, nothing like that. On 79th and Euclid, they did uh, ransack a, a, a shoe store there. Um, that was pretty heavily damaged shoes and other merchandise across the kind of thrown across the um, uh, parking lot uh, in Little Italy last night. Uh, it was just, I think, five, six protesters uh, came up with signs. Uh, National Guard and a ton of Cleveland police officers showed up pretty immediately um, and, uh, you know, just asked, you know, told them to leave, which they did. And uh, that was pretty much about the extent of it there. Yeah. The mayor said last night that they have a staffing plan now where they're on top of things. We'll have to see. And of course, they're keeping the curfew in place to uh, prevent anybody from being downtown. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Was the violence that occurred during the riot in downtown Cleveland Saturday spontaneous or organized? Laura Johnston, we were on the ground. We had people uh, downtown, and it did not seem to be spontaneous. There were lots of signs that people came downtown planning to create some mayhem. What were they? Well, let me just point out that the protest itself and the main organization, Black Lives Matter, stressed that it should be peaceful. They did not want violence. They they put that out there. And, 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 and let, let's point out the organized part of the program was peaceful. I mean, yeah. it was it was striking to me to see thousands of people downtown. I wasn't there. I was watching all the, the video. Most of them, 99 percent of them wearing masks, very passionately protesting what's going on in this nation. And for the for two and a half hours or so, peace reigned. It was after yeah. that broke up that right. the violence began. And a lot of people went home because they didn't want to be part of the violence. So the, the official protest was very peaceful. Um, obviously, some people brought things to turn the protest violence. They, they brought spray paint, Molotov cocktails. Um, there were some protesters carrying radios. 
um, a man and woman wearing full masks that had covered their faces. They ran after all the gas canisters, put out the smoke with a bucket of solution, and then threw it back. There were people that were dressed as medics uh, who taped red crosses to their shirts to make sure that people who got pepper sprayed got to flush out their eyes. There were people with megaphones, people listening to scanners so they could tell what was coming next with the police. Yeah, I even saw some people carrying milk, which is what you need for water doesn't work on. Apparently baking soda and water is a good solution, too. Yeah. So and look, you don't bring fuel for a Molotov cocktail unless you're planning to use it. And the way our photographer said it worked is they'd smash out a window in a police car, light the Molotov cocktail, throw it into the car, and then the car would go up. So clearly there were people in Cleveland Saturday who only came down to cause violence. You don't bring spray paint. You don't bring, which is interesting. So how you got to wonder, how does that get organized? And I guess that feeds into some idea of, of outsiders planning it, but there was clear evidence that this was organized and not spontaneous, spontaneous this week in the CLE. How did Cleveland.com photographer John Kuntz get those jaw-dropping photos of the riot in downtown Cleveland Saturday? I was stunned by these photos. I don't know that I've ever seen their like. I felt like I was standing next to the rioters as they threw boulders through windows, as they stood on burned-out police cars. Um, I mean, it was it was striking that the rioters were not looking at at, at John or the journalists as a problem. They were focused 100 percent on their vandalism. Laura Johnston, you know, th- these were pretty amazing photos that people should take a look at. I agree. Um, John has covered a lot of protests. He got pepper sprayed in Columbus in 2015 when Ohio State fans got overzealous celebrating their NCAA football championship. He said this was one of the strangest protests he's ever been at. He moved around a lot. He used a mid-range zoom lens. When the protesters marched down uh, Lakeside Avenue, he climbed up to that hill atop the convention center and got some really good shots. When I asked how he did it, he said he knows what he's doing. He he can take a couple shots and then blend in at the edge of the crowd so that he he's not too overt. Um, he said he ran fast. Uh, that's why he used a mid-range lens and not a long lens. It's easier to run with. Um, he cropped a lot, but he, he just moved around. He said because it was a bright day, he set the ISO low to get the best photo quality. But yeah, he, he did some some incredible work. Over, well, over the weekend. And I asked him if if he thought the masks made a difference. I mean, everybody's wearing a mask. You see the picture. The guy, I think, is actually facing John at one point who's throwing the boulder in the window. There's no way any jury would convict that guy based on that photo. Because like a full mask, yeah, right? You, can't, you yeah. can't see it. You can, I mean, in the I mean, over and over again, you're looking at people who are in masks. We have a story that we published this morning that explains just how challenging it is for police to prosecute people uh, based on photos when they're wearing masks. Basically, the just the story is you can't. No one will be prosecuted based on those photos. Yeah. Um, and and based on everybody wearing a mask for the coronavirus, people felt safer to be photographed. John didn't know, but, but it certainly uh, stuck out. Anyway, uh, check out the photos. They're on cleveland.com. They're, they're, they'll put you, you'll really get an idea what happened at the Justice Center. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What does the riot in Cleveland Saturday mean for the future of downtown? We've been doing a lot of stories on the future in downtown based on the coronavirus. We know that 
some number of people will not be returning to their workplace because they've realized they can work from home efficiently. And we believe that downtown employers may want to reduce their rent by reducing their footprint. People are not going downtown in the evening because all the entertainment venues are closed. And even when they open, people may be nervous about it. Restaurants have just reopened, but people are nervous. So the future of downtown has already been in some peril. And now this, is is there any belief that people in the suburbs are going to venture into downtown anytime soon? Laura Johnston, what do you say? It is not looking good. Um, I mean, like you said, so many businesses were already struggling after the coronavirus. Some weren't making it. And downtown employees, if they weren't working from home, they might be now. I mean, that we have reports this morning of them, even if they're trying to go to work, getting turned down, getting turned away. So they're not going to go down. It's because of the curfew. Because of the curfew, right. Um, so they're not going out for lunch or popping into Heinen's on a break. Um, they're no well, sport. Let, let, let's let's yeah. talk about Heinen's okay. for a minute. Yeah. Heinen's uh, took a big gamble when it moved into downtown Cleveland. It took over the old Ameritrust building. It's a beautiful facility. Uh, they built a great area to have lunch. But it, it, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right in saying they haven't yet broken even in this investment. At least they hadn't the last time anybody talked about it. You've got to think that during the coronavirus and the profound changes that are coming for downtown, they've been rethinking their strategy. And then Adam Faris, they got gutted, right? I mean, that place was seriously yeah. looted. Seriously looted, and I mean, a huge mess. Just a lot of a lot of food smashed all over the place. Uh, it, it was it was in very bad shape. What about? I don't know how far you got in, or if you wanted to stay outside. But was that was that dining area in the rotunda trashed as well? Do we know? I don't think I could see quite uh, in that area, but the uh, the aisles were. Did people, did people take all the wine and other expensive items? Did you get the feeling like was it stripped of anything that might be worth something? Um, yeah, uh, definitely saw a ton of wine bottles, people breaking them and throwing them and things like that out there. Um, not, I didn't, didn't go in. Uh, so I'm not sure if there was anything else particularly targeted, but yeah, definitely the wine bottles were, were out. So Laura, you got to wonder, will Heinen's use this as the reason to remove itself from downtown Cleveland? It's a really good question. Right next door is Geiger's, um, which is a locally owned uh, sporting goods and clothing store. And I talked to their owner and he said they're going to have to assess the future of their downtown location. They have shops in Lake uh, Lakewood and Chagrin Falls. Um, he said they were cleaned out of everything. And we there's actually some video on Twitter of people actually looting the place. And then we got some great videos just of the smash storefront. And it's got to be a tough decision as a small business owner. He said they were very bullish on downtown, but they have to be realistic. And and they've been there for actually, it's been five years since both Heinen's and Geiger's opened. They feel new. And that's been five years. We've heard uh, tell also that people who live in downtown condos and uh, apartments that, especially around Public Square, that the rioters were smashing windows, trying to get in. And they were scared to death. And, and there's talk that people are going to say, that's it. I'm not, I'm not staying here. This is way too risky. So you could lose residence. You could lose retail. You could lose office uh, people. I mean, this is a perilous time for downtown. Right at the moment that Destination Cleveland was about to launch its undefeated campaign. Right. 
to bring people downtown to make them feel safe going to restaurants and attractions. What becomes of that? That's a really good question. I did reach out to Destination Cleveland yesterday, and they were meeting about the topic. They were very specific. They were trying to tell me that the undefeated campaign is really about the whole area. It's not just about downtown. So maybe they're already rethinking how that campaign will come out. But it's got to be a tough spot to try to tell people the whole campaign was clean and safe. That was the whole point, and it was about right. the coronavirus. And they're saying it's not about downtown. That's weird because that's not what what I had heard. Adam, d- just to give everyone an idea, I mean, you were downtown, you saw what it was like. How how bad was the damage? I mean, was every storefront smashed? Was was every store cleaned out? Just how long does it take to to rebuild? And and I know you you're not an insurance adjuster, but we're t- probably talking millions of dollars of damage got to be millions of dollars. Um, as far as the extent, there were some building, uh, pretty much every building was touched except for the theaters, you know, but some were just smashed windows. Maybe they went it like there was one, somebody uh, went into the PNC bank on ninth and Euclid and lit a fire, but it didn't look like there were, there was too much else gone, you know, passed uh, a few feet into the building. Geiger's is gone. Uh, Heinen's is destroyed. So it's going to be, it's going to vary based on, you know, different buildings, uh, different businesses that got hit, but it's going to, it's going to take some a long time to to get back and others. They'll they'll just have to replace a window. Um, Mary Kilpatrick talked to the owner of Barrio. He said they took the safes from the restaurant and he actually like fled through the kitchen door in the back when the crowds came in. Also, we found out from Cleveland, Cleveland clothing company we thought they were looted. They actually took out all their inventory Saturday morning thinking this could happen. And so they have it all in a warehouse somewhere. So they were the only ones maybe that thought that this was a possibility. Wow. We should, they should, the police could have used some of their intelligence. I I guess. All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. What is Ohio governor Mike DeWine doing about the violence that is popping up in reaction to the Minneapolis police killing of George Floyd? And what is he saying? Jane Cahoon, Columbus is where the violence started in Ohio. It started midweek last week when people got together, smashed some statehouse windows. It's now spread. Uh, What does Governor Mike DeWine have to say about this? Well, DeWine called um, an unplanned news conference on Friday to respond to the situation. This was after, as you said, the Thursday night protests and vandalism to the statehouse in Columbus. And it was largely to say that that he regretted not taking an opportunity during his Thursday coronavirus briefing to to speak out against the George Floyd killing and to speak out against injustice and racism. And and it was also to say that that people have the right to protest. They they can and they should protest, but they should do it peacefully. So he was he was appealing for for calm. But perhaps the most surprising moment in that news conference was when our Andrew Tobias asked him about President Trump's now widely publicized tweet where where he said, when the looting begins, the shooting begins. Right. And normally, DeWine has deflected every Trump question. He's just declined to criticize him directly. But this time, you could almost tell by the look on his face, you know, he he just wasn't going to take the risk of associating himself with that kind of remark. So, he said he did not disagree with, I mean, I'm sorry, he didn't agree with what Trump said, 
and that he thinks it's a leader's job to to bring people together and be a source of peace and stability. So, although he did mobilize the national guard to yes. go to all the cities where the violence is, so he is, you know, he, he. I guess you could argue that he's trying to bring peace and stability, but it's rare that you mobilize the national guard to go into cities to keep order. I mean, when when's the last time that's actually happened? Right. That now that was on Saturday. The next day, and. He did, even while doing that, he said that the National Guard's job was to drive out hate and violence and help instill order. And he said, we do this today so that love and kindness, compassion and peace can triumph over hate and violence. But Adam Faris, we didn't see the National Guard (laughs) on Saturday, did we? I did not see them at all Saturday. I definitely saw them yesterday. They were out, but yeah, not Saturday. Okay. All right. We'll have to to leave it there. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll return tomorrow. 